Who do you want to be as a leader? What are the blind spots you're missing? If you had a magic wand and you could change anything about your workplace, what would you do with it? These are the kinds of questions we explore on Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt. I'm a keynote speaker, emotional intelligence coach, and leadership trainer who partners with executives and emerging leaders who want to achieve extraordinary results for themselves and their organizations. You're in the right place if you're ready to cultivate the self-awareness to be the leader you were born to be. Let's go on this journey together. Welcome to a new episode of Inspirational Leadership. I am super excited to introduce you to today's guest, my friend Melanie, and I am going to speak today with Dr. Melanie Peacock. She's an HR consultant, a professor, keynote speaker, author, and has over 30 years experience as a human resource management professional. And her motto, everybody who knows me is going to know that I love this motto. Her motto is investing in people provides the best return. Welcome to the show, Melanie. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you for that lovely introduction. I'm so excited to be here today. Thank you to everybody who's tuning in to listen, to hear our ideas. And I'm just really excited about our conversation. Yeah. Me too. I'm, I really am. And, and one of the things I love to start with when I'm, I'm bringing the guests on is giving you an opportunity to share a little bit high level around your journey. What got you to where you are now? So I was born years ago in, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's, not, that's too high level. That's not high level enough. You know, what got me here is I love to say God takes care of the angels and the fools. And I know which one I am. <laughs> you know, I, I love to say, oh, I knew exactly what I was doing and everything's intentional and everything's purposeful. And of course there's some intention and there has to be some work and some planning and some strategy, but really by the grace of God and That grace is involved being surrounded by so many incredible, caring, intelligent people such as yourself. We have such a great community that's really helped bring me to where I am today. You know, I reached a point where in between the years in my MBA program, I had two job offers, one to go into a sales and marketing type role and one to go into HR. And I always think back to that. I think, you know, talk about the fork in the road, that what would have happened if I had taken the sales and marketing job? Like how different my life would have been. But I just knew instinctively that this is what I wanted to do. And based on studies and work and previous work experience I'd done, but also the individual who was the manager at that time, I thought this is someone I could work with, learn from, how important that all these years later, 30 some years later, that's still relevant, right? How we are with other people, how we impact, how we influence them never goes away. And so I fell into HR that way, really. It was not on purpose. It was, now it is, but it wasn't, you know, I landed there and my career evolved, different opportunities came up at the right times. And I just was so blessed that now I have, landed in a role where I get to teach, I get to write, I get to read, I get to think, I get to share my knowledge and my ideas on so many platforms, whether it be textbooks, social media, blogs, keynotes, panel discussions, like it's just so incredibly blessed. So I would say it's been a very 
uh, indirect and yet direct at times, you know, you turn and then it'll go straight for a while. It'll go up, it'll go down, <laughs> but then it'll turn again. And then on we go. And yeah, it's just been such an amazing journey. I love that. And I have to say so many HR leaders who I speak with say the same thing. Like I didn't pick HR. It's almost like HR picked me. And then once I got into it, I knew it's exactly where I should be, but it wasn't like they were graduating from school and said, yeah, I want to go into HR. It's just one of those things that it's leaders and people and it's kind of pull them in that direction. But then once they're in there and they see what it's about and the impacts that can be made that they're sold. Absolutely. And I even remember as a child, always being very interested. I used to like to hang around adults. Uh, I'm an only child. So a lot of people like, oh, that explains a lot. No. <laughs> so I hung around a, a lot of adults and I would hear adult conversation. And inevitably I would hear over and over again, people talking about their unhappiness at work mm. or their dissatisfaction. And from a very young age, and again, I didn't know to label it HR, but from a very young age, I was always curious you know, why does work have to suck? <laughs> why does work have to be so bad? Like, certainly there must be some reasons. There must be some ways to make things better. There must be something that's going on in these organizations. I see this look of deflation, of sadness in all these adults' eyes. And yet I saw others spark when they talked about their work. And I was always curious, okay, what's the difference? Yeah. And I wonder what I'm going to end up doing and where I'll work. And I hope to work somewhere where it's more of the spark. And already Melanie says so much about who you are, because even as, as little Melanie, already her intuition showing up and she's like, what's going on here? And the different adults, and it doesn't surprise me at all. And is that what brought you to doing your PhD as well? Because you did that once you'd already been in your career and decided to go back and do that. What was the catalyst for doing your PhD? Many catalysts. One, I'll say I'm just a big believer in lifelong learning. Yeah. Clearly, I'm an educator, and so I'm always encouraging my students to learn. I love the ability to teach, but it also enables me to learn with and through other people, but it also forces me to learn so that I remain relevant, current, engaging. So I've always had that. And um, people ask me many times, well, why would you go back and do a PhD <clears throat> later in life, later in my career stage? I had a tenured faculty position, so there was nothing forcing me to do it. There was no threat of job loss. But I thought if I want to be a good example for other people, if I talk about lifelong learning, and yes, there's many ways to learn. It doesn't have to just be those credentialed formal learning, you know, reading, self-directed learning. I value all those things. Yeah. But I thought in an academic environment, I should set an example. Mm. The other thing too, is I just had the opportunity. I saw my colleagues thriving and growing as they pursued further degrees. Mm. And I thought, yeah, I've always been curious. I've always wanted to learn new things. Then the opportunity came up and I thought, well, what should I learn though? I'd mm. already focused a lot on business issues. And then as crazy as it sounds, I dawns on me, oh wait, I've been teaching for many, many years. And yet I know very little grounded in theory and wonderful research about how and why adults learn. Mm. Wouldn't it be great if I can become a more effective educator and not just again in a formal setting. I view us all as being teachers. You and I converse, having this conversation now, it's a form of educating and sharing knowledge with others. When you do panels, when you do keynotes, right? But I thought, I want to know more about that. So hopefully I can get better. 
So that's what really was a huge impetus to send me back to school. So no schools out for summer. I used to sing that every time I graduated. <laughs> schools out forever. And then, oh, guess not. <laughs> oh, and, and I think it's so important what you said too, like there's so many different versions of learning. And it, it, I believe you don't end up, you should never stop learning until the day you die. Like there's always something to learn. And something that jumped out at me in, in this moment, as you said that, and um kind of warms my heart is just a reminder for me as well. I remember back in back in the day in high school, I had thought I wanted to be a teacher starting off with elementary school and then thought maybe high school. And, and then I just realized I loved kids, but being in a classroom every day wasn't wasn't for me. But then I eventually recognized oh, my classroom was not going to be in a school setting. My classroom is in organizations. My classroom is online. My classroom is this podcast. So it's even recognizing, just like you said, we all have the opportunity every day to be teaching and sharing our wisdom and collaborating. So I like the, the way you, you said that because it's, it's sometimes even shifting our perspective of how we see certain roles. It's interesting, isn't it, Kristen, that we talk as HR professionals and we encourage other people to be very aware of and be able to articulate transferable skills. We say if you're applying for a job, make sure you understand how the competencies that you've developed can be shown and useful in another job. So it's not the title, it's not necessarily the way these are labeled, but understanding what it is you're able to do and how you move that to new opportunities. And yet we sometimes forget to or negate to do this for ourselves. And this is exactly what we're talking about. It's like we really understand where our passions are, where our desires, where our skill set. But it's not limited to this one box. It's not limited to one thing. It's so much more. And that creativity and that deep thinking and critical analysis that we ask other people to do to be successful in their careers, we have to remember to do for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and it's what you just said right there. It also sparked something else for me is remembering that even as uh, when we're hiring to remember to not get so caught up in the titles, I, I've talked to so many candidates that they, they felt like they got to the last round, but then there was this kind of risk aversion. Oh, we're going to take the safe candidate as opposed to the other candidate who the safe candidate has been in the exact same role in another organization. The one that was a little bit outside of the box was the individual who was perhaps coming from a different industry. Maybe they were in sales and marketing or project management, but they're translating and, and bringing that over to the HR space or the sales or whatever it may be. And that is actually a differentiator because they're going to bring a diverse perspective that could be so valuable to the organization, but there can sometimes be some resistance. Absolutely. And boy, those words make me cringe when someone says, oh, they had the exact same role in another organization. Well, eh, as they say on Family Feud, it wasn't the exact same role because it wasn't in your organization. The fact that it's another organization makes it different. <coughs> Excuse me. Here we go with being human. I'll have my water. <laughs> you know, the culture of the organization, the processes, the people, it makes it a different role. Yes. Yes, yes. And I think that's a beautiful segue to go into, you know, this podcast is about leadership developments. It's about humanizing the workplace. And so we know what that looks like when there are the wonderful leaders. And then we know what it looks like where we've worked for those difficult bosses. 
And so I'm very interested. I don't think anyone on this podcast listening right now could say to me, they've never had somebody who was not necessarily the right kind of boss material. And there's great learning and growth that comes from that. But tell me from your perspective, what would you like to see of if I could give you the magic wand and you said, this is what we're trying to create and what we're trying to develop in terms of our leaders. What would you like to see? What are those qualities for, uh, for uh, inspirational leader? So instead of bibbity bobbity boo, I'm going to bibbity bobbity boss. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Awesome. You got it. <laughs> so what do we want for an inspiration? So many dimensions to cover. So in no particular order of importance, I want somebody who is comfortable being uncomfortable. So what do I mean by that? Someone who's willing to get out of their own comfort zone stretch their own knowledge, their own experiences, because someone who's willing to do that will appreciate when others are, and they won't limit other people. Somebody that's comfortable with being uncomfortable will have difficult conversations. We'll say, you know, this didn't go as well as we had hoped. Let's talk about why. How can we improve? How can we get better? Those aren't easy conversations to have. Being uncomfortable involves even sometimes saying, how are you? And really meaning it and asking and being willing to listen to the response, not the superficial, hi, how are you? Really inspirational leaders say it, mean it and live it, right? Those are very different things. So that whole comfort with being uncomfortable. Inspirational leaders, this really ties in so nicely to what we were just talking about, are comfortable with being uncomfortable with their hiring choices mm -hmm. and who they bring into their team. So they don't suffer from the mirror effect. One of the most inspirational bosses I ever worked for hired me into a team. And I thought, I wonder why they brought me in here because I'm nothing like any of the other people. And in fact, I'm sure that's irritating to them. <laughs> I don't think like them. I don't talk like them. I you know, have a different way of approaching things, not good or bad, just different. Whereas the rest of them function, including the boss, functioned in a very similar way. But he shared with me later, he said, I purposefully did that because you don't change by doing the same things. And he was strategic enough to notice or know that there was a change needed. But that's uncomfortable. And I give this person so much credit to bring somebody in who's going to challenge you or challenge the status quo or not fit a mold. That's being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I think everything that you shared there is so important. And I know for you also compassion's a big one too, right? Showing up as a compassionate and emotionally intelligent and empathetic leader. And so when we think about creating organizations that have these kind of people, uh, we know this is very aspirationally. So what's getting in the way of organizations creating workplaces that have more of these kind of leaders? What, what shows up for you? What are some of those barriers? It's interesting, again, as an HR professional, and even as an educator, when I'm teaching an introductory course in human resource management, everything's siloed. So we're going to talk about chapter two, the law. Then we're going to talk about chapter three, occupational health and safety. Then we're going to talk about chapter four, performance management. And so I try to really get through to students that this is not how the real world works. And this is not how an HR professional's world works. This is not how anybody in business, in life. That's not how our world works. You don't do one thing a day and you say, today I'm gonna to do this, today. 
So how this gets in the way is we do tend to silo things. We say we want a leader with these kind of qualities and capabilities. But then do we think about what does that mean for our performance management? Do we actually encourage that kind of behavior once they've joined our organization? Is our culture aligned with what we want? Is the way we communicate and recognize employees, does that align with the kind of qualities we're looking for in our leaders? What about the way we pay people? What about the way we offer training and development? Are there mentorship opportunities? You know, it's very aspirational to say, of course, everybody, we want great engaged people. But do you? Do you really want engaged people? Because as soon as somebody questions something, uh, they're given a scowl or they're given the dirty looks or they're getting other consequences or they miss out on opportunities. So what do you actually want and how are you showing that through your actions? And organizations are live entities. They're social entities. And it's, again, we try to silo everything and we have to be willing to bring it all together. It's like a jigsaw puzzle, right? There are separate pieces, but the pieces have to fit together into one beautiful picture. And I really see this as a critical role for HR professionals. We should be the ones that understand that big jigsaw picture and see when the pieces aren't fitting together right, when someone is bound and determined to make that piece fit and I'm going to squish it in there and it's good. Well, no, it doesn't quite fit. Well, why isn't it fitting? What's going wrong? What's askew? Because we have that level of understanding the fluidity throughout an organization and its people. So, you know, often it's because we just don't, practice what we espouse to mm. you know the other reason too and I ruminate and think deeply about this is you know even mistakes I've made and things when I you know go off path and I think why did I do that why I should have known better and while it's not an excuse I've seen it happen and I've experienced myself we get busy mm. it sounds so simple when you are overloaded you the royal you us we when we as people we're not robots and when we get busy and we get overwhelmed and overloaded, we can't be our best selves and we can't aspire to all those things we want to be and know we should be. So I see that as another reason. It's just overload and we start to churn and we forget. Yes. Yeah, you know, it's such a good point. And, and this will bring us maybe a, a talking a little bit around the global pandemic. I'm thinking about some of the leaders I've supported. And one of the things that we notice is um, I'm spending a lot of time to be cognizant of what they're doing to take care of themselves. And sometimes we would identify um, times where they're working like 12, 14 hours a day. And and one of my clients, love her dearly, we, we did a goal around sleep and she had to be off computer by a certain time, like off by nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, going to bed by 1030. And she said, wow, I can't believe how resourceful I am and how much better a leader I am when I'm getting seven hours of sleep every night. I was doing three or four hours of sleep and also working the 12 hour days. And I, I could, and I said, Yes, yes, you can imagine like you're working, you're, you're, you're operating on empty. And as you say that it reminds me also when we start to connect that to the workplace, when just people have these unmanageable, like where there's just so much on their plates, and then more things get pushed on it, they aren't robots. And so how are we expecting people to be able to function and do that role as a leader, which ultimately is spending a lot of time with the humans and leading and managing and collaborating with the humans when the workload's at that capacity? 
That's right. It's absolutely, it's sleep. It's things as simple as remembering to hydrate, maybe not in a beautiful peacock cup like this, but you know, it, those are important things. And as ridiculous as it sounds, we have to train ourselves to do that. I've set reminders on my phone to put a little alarm to remind me to get up and walk so yeah. that I don't sit in front of my computer for six hours straight, which I can do. Yeah. It's not a good thing. I remind myself to drink my water. I set obligations, I'm calling them, that's the wrong word, commitments yes. to my family. Yes. And that forces me in a good way to get away from some of this, which I love and I'm passionate about and brings me great energy, yes. but I can't do it all the time. And in fact, research will show that the more various parts or different parts of our brains we use, mm -hmm. the better we are at even thinking and strategizing, never mind operating physically. So some of the better ideas will come to you when you're not thinking mm -hmm. as deeply about something. Mm -hmm. And we have to give ourselves those moments, not just in sleep, but to rest our minds while we're awake. And as difficult as it is, and I'm, you know, I'm one to talk because I've had to force myself to do it. But I know when I do do it, <laughs> it's, it's so beneficial, as you've just outlined. Very observant what you've shared. Well, and I think it's so honest what you're saying, right? Like anybody, there's going to be times where we're not, we can be our own worst enemy, right? We're human. And then there's times where we recognize it. And then we say, and what you just acknowledged there is really about holding the boundaries and what's an easier way to hold a boundary. Well, is to have a commitment that really matters to you. So it's not, it's not a should, well, I should do this. No, I'm doing it because my family is important to me and I'm not going to sacrifice my family for this work. And then the other one I see so often men and women, but even more with women is giving themselves permission <laughs> to step away from the computer and have that time and space. And it can feel counterintuitive, but when you recharge like that, and I can speak for my walks, I have the best ideas on the walks but I have to give myself the space to be able to go on the walks and allow it out of my workday in order for those ideas to emerge. Yeah. And it's interesting the terminology you use, because I've used it. I've heard it used over and over again, giving ourselves permission. And even that phrasing, because I've used it, it sounds like we're doing something wrong, right? You're permitting yourself. I hope we can get to a stage where we say we're giving ourselves the needed we're giving ourselves the required it's not even permission it's required and we should be building that in yeah. and somehow building that into our organizational cultures as well because yeah. then overall we will be productive more healthy all those other good things more aspirational yeah yeah and let's go there so let's talk a little bit more if you're you're thinking about cultures and what would you like to see more of in cultures? Where do you think are those opportunities for organizations to really thrive and create these beautiful environments where yes, they're working towards business outcomes, but they're also giving people the gift where they get to use their talents and feel meaning, happiness when they go to work. Um, where do you see opportunities to make some changes there when we think about cultures? One of the key changes I think we can make is looking at the roles we ask people to do. And in fact, just on a little a tangent, if 30 some years later in HR, if someone asked me if you could fix one thing about the way organizations operate, or you could change one thing, what would it be? And I would say 90% of the issues I've ever encountered when dealing with organizations has to do with role definition. 
Mm. And it's really like, yes, if you know what it is you're supposed to do, what the expectations are, and also what you're not supposed to do, if everybody understood that clearly and concisely, it would cause so much less hard feelings, conflict, confusion, the workflow and the output itself would be so much more efficient and effective. It sounds so simplistic. And of course, there's much more detail behind that statement I'm making and complexity. But at the high level, that's at the heart of it. So now to answer your question, if I could change one thing about cultures, I would make the roles to be still well and properly defined but give people the flexibility within them to play to their strengths so that people would define the roles and then again, have clear boundaries and expectations. So there's not overlapping confusion and conflict. And so this takes work, right? Because we're talking about some moving pieces, but if people define their roles a little bit more, now I'm not saying completely, there's some basic parts of every job that need to get done. But if we could listen to people and let them play to their strengths, just think of the synergy and the dynamics and the power in that, not to mention the satisfaction, motivation, and happiness. But instead, what we do is we build these blocks and then we shove people in them. And we say, this is where you'll sit. This is what you'll do. This is why you'll like it. Now, look at what the pandemic did. It shook up the blocks. Okay, you said before you needed more flexibility or you could do this from home. Oh, now you are. We gave you, the universe gave you some of that flexibility under less than ideal circumstances, absolutely. But trying to look at some of the silver linings, it showed we can do that. We can get people to have more input into what they do and have some flexibility and play to their amazing abilities as, as opposed to saying you got to do all of these other things that you're not good at and that don't fill your tank. Yeah, I think it's so important. And it's allowing it, like you said, for it to be an evolution, as that person's in the role and the leader and that individual get to know each other and start to see the strengths and what they're doing really well, and being able to evolve it. And then the other thing that jumped out at me with what you said, and I see, I see this a lot where there ends up being a lack of communication is um, expectations are not clearly outlines for the individual. So they're not understanding. So it's not being communicated. And they're there. It's, I think the the most effective thing is right from the beginning, not even just the role, but even in terms of how they're going to work together. If we can have a leader and an individual like really talking about um, what works so well for you, what doesn't work so well, well for you, how can I support you better? Like, this is what you can expect from me. Like just getting to know each other in that way and really talking through their work styles. And then right from the beginning saying, well, how are we going to communicate if that's not going well? What works well? Like to really have those open conversations from the beginning and constantly checking in like that. Oh my gosh, it would save so many issues. Absolutely. And, and to also let it be an evolving process. You know, those that work with me will know, I'll say, look, I'm going to over communicate. I, I don't to reply all to everybody. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm strategic with emails. But when I'm sending an email, I'll copy certain people and I'll say, because I want you to be informed. And then it's your choice. But if you don't want me to continue to copy you on this information, or you need these things, then let me know. Or here's another perfect example a textbook I'm working on. One of the contacts at the publisher is away for the month, but I said to them before they left, do you want me to continue to copy you on the emails while you're away, but I don't want to overwhelm you or your inbox. And there's a surprise. Oh, this is so sweet that 
Okay. It's important for me to know what your expectations are. So if you don't want me to copy you, I won't. But if you do, and they were really grateful to for me to ask that because that set the expectations and that set what was needed. And so now I know they did want me to copy them because they didn't want to come back and feel like they were out of the loop where someone else might say, don't, because I'd be overwhelmed. So it's expectations. And now you have to, I'm interrupting, but you have to tell me who that beautiful soul was. Yes. Yes. So Melanie, this is, we said this might happen. It's real life happening. And my son has walked in. So um, I'm going to come quickly, say hi to Melanie on the podcast right now, because this is real. I'd love to say hello. Say hi right now. You're going to be all the podcast listeners are going to hear you. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to come see you in one second. And that's part of an authentic culture too, right? It's just understanding that people are living their lives, that they have to be able to have interruptions. We're able to multitask at times. And, you know, I've said too, that I make commitments to my family. And here's a good example is Kristen is attending to her family, which is so critical that, you know, family first, because without a good foundation, without our families to support us and back us up, that we wouldn't be able to do that lovely work. And that's part of being authentic. And Kristen, I was just talking away because I was saying that is part of an authenticity, right? Is that family first and yes. awesome. Yes, thank you, Melanie. And I, I said right at the beginning when we were talking today, I said, I do not edit in this podcast because the whole thing that I'm talking about is to be human and to be human means to be real. And we're living in a global pandemic and my son is home today. He walked in, he's eight years old. He, he needs mama for a second. So that was a real moment. And anybody who's listening right now, I want this to be an example for you that it's okay <laughs> for real moments to show up because that's, that's what it looks like to be human. Right. And it look, the world is still spinning and he's adorable by the way. And as I say, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So he takes after Jack. <laughs> and isn't that, so there you go. And you know what, there, there's something that you, I never thought when one of your questions you asked me, you know what I would love, I would love to hear laughter more. And that's controversial. That's controversial uh, because people say, well, that's not professional. I love to laugh now appropriately and I know boundaries and I understand professionalism. I can put on a suit and I can give you one heck of a board presentation. I've done it, but I love to laugh and I miss that so much. And I think I don't even realize that as much until somebody said to me one day, we were doing an introduction and they had to introduce other people. And he said that when he, he drew the short straw and had to introduce me, and I loved his comment. He said, uh, Melanie has a contagious laugh and wherever you, she goes, you'll hear laughter. Yeah. And that, I thought that's just such a, that's the nicest thing I think anyone's yeah. ever said about me. But when we just exchanged, there's some authenticity, right? There's some real moments you and I shared and we laughed yeah. and it's okay. And I can pull out all the research and it will show you about how laughter is good. And it actually has medical chemical reactions in your body and it's needed and good for you. But it's important. And I wish we would smile and laugh and genuinely enjoy one another more because a lot of that, even pre pandemic, I see has been eroded from the workforce. 
It's, it's so true. It's a conversation I've had many times around laughter and play because we also, as adults, we need to play. We don't suddenly become adults and then play disappears and, and laughter as well. It reminds me of a story. I, I worked with an HR leader and when we were working through her values and really getting clear on her core values, um, laughter and humor and sense of humor and beyond to joke is such a strong value for her. And she was realizing why there'd been a bit of a disconnect in her cult in, in her organization, how she was showing up because authenticity is really important as well is she was holding herself back in meetings because she felt I'm the HR leader and I have a certain persona I'm supposed to wear. And what was happening is she was actually not connecting as much with people because we know what it looks like when we're not showing up as our authentic selves. And then when she started to really bring in the humor, make some jokes, even for she was doing something with, um, I can't remember what it was, but she was doing it with the team and she brought on a, a little video clip from the office. And then she started to like create this beautiful environment where there was so much more connection because she was being herself. And then they connect more with her because, oh, there's Melissa. Like that's the person, right? So yeah, it's so beautiful when we can really tap into those, tap into those values. And, and then I think humor and laughter, I mean, no organization. We, it's the other thing that's showing up for me when you say that, Melanie, is I learn a lot about an organization as soon as I walk into it when I start to feel the energy, right? And those ones where there's a little bit of laughter and you hear a little this over here and there's talking, those ones where I can feel it as soon as I walk in, there's almost this, I can't even put a word on it, but this almost like when we, we can't really be talking and we need to be quiet. And I start to feel that energy as soon as I walk into the, to the company. And I say exactly the same thing. It is palpable. You can walk into a room, you can walk into a home, you can walk into an organization, you feel it. It's actually there. And it can actually feel stifling is the word I use. Like I can't take my full breath because I feel like I'm being shut down. And you know, as much as we talk about being able to laugh and smile again appropriately, we should be able to cry. And those aren't popular opinions either. And, you know, and I'm not talking about every time you are upset or you don't get your way or you just have no control over your emotions, but I'm talking about when you are really moved or when you're feeling something deeply. Today's podcast has been brought to you by the word uncomfortable. We have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. You know, I remember, and I still remember to this day, the first time I ever cried in front of a group of students I was handing back an assignment and it was, a, I hadn't envisioned when I created the assignment and I had them do it. It was about them exploring their strengths and they did it through an actual resource and a profile, but then they had to ruminate and dig deeper and talk about how they'd apply it and how it impacted certain things they've experienced in their lives. And they knew I was gonna read it. So I said, you know, share what you're comfortable with. Only I will see it, but you know, it's going to be read by another human being. And, and it had good business links to it. And so I really thought it was going to be quite a cerebral exercise. And so as I'm reading it, I realized, well, I don't know what I was thinking because this is very cerebral, it's great, but it's also hugely emotive. So much so that I could only read one or two papers at a time and I had to walk away. And then when I returned the papers to them, and again, I had not envisioned this, but as I was talking to them about their work and how impactful it was and what they shared, I actually started to cry. And I got 
quite jolted by it, discombobulated. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm crying in front of a group of students. This is so unprofessional. What are they going to think? Like, and so as soon as I start tried to make myself stop crying, it got worse because I'm a highly emotive person. And I thought, well, mm, look at this. Here I am. I am emotive. I'm a wear your heart on your sleeve kind of person. And that's just, again, not everyone's cup of tea, but that's who I am. And so I, I cried. And then I look up and they're crying and it was like, oh my God, I was like, okay, I hope somebody does not walk by and stick their head in there and think, <laughs> what is that instructor doing to those kids? <laughs> but we have to be able to do that at the right times. We have, if we want people to be authentic, engaging, inspirational leaders, then how can we ask them to leave their heart and soul at the door? And that oh. is so often yet what we do. Yes. Yes. Thank you for accentuating that both the laughter and allowing the other part, which I can't tell you how many times I remember one leader, it was when he was having to let somebody go and the tears came up because in that moment it was real, it was genuine or somebody who was in a meeting and um, something that she heard and the way they described it, it really spoke to her soul and some tears came up. And we know, I don't know if you got this, but I've heard so many times that, oh, don't be too, don't be so sensitive. And so we can see why so many of us have put that barrier up and put the wall up because we feel like we, we can't, we're not allowed to be who we are. And I do believe, and we've talked a little bit about the silver linings that this global pandemic has been a great way to bring our whole selves to work because we are literally for somebody, some of us, our work is our office, is our all of that. Uh, not everyone. There's a lot of people. And thank you for all the essential service workers. If any of you are listening right now, thank you, because there are so many of you who do not have the luxury to be working at home and, and you are putting yourself at risk for us in many ways. So thank you to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All of you. Thank you. And I do, I do recognize that. I understand that it's privilege. I have a privilege that I get to be at home and work in this way. and, And some people don't. Um, so thank you. Um, but we also like people will see things, right? Like they're, they're, they're bringing their whole selves and, and sometimes the emotions well show up and sometimes difficult things are happening because we're all experiencing the pandemic in different ways. Some people have older adults that they're taking care of. Some people are feeling lonely because they're not seeing family. Some people are feeling like I want to get out of my house because I'm always with my family, right? There are all of these different things that people are experiencing. And I think it is I don't think I'll ever be the same with that whole, where, where sometimes it'd be like, this is who I am at home. This is who I am at work. And people felt like it had to be these two different roles. It's just really merged in together and, and actually in a beautiful way, I would have to say in some, in, in some regard. Yes. And I hope we continue to take this and many of the lessons we've learned through the pandemic forward. I hope we don't forget you know, and I would find it exhausting to have to be one person at work and one person at home. And certainly there's some differences, of course. There's still a professional persona. There's some things we do in the office that are different than what we do at home and vice versa. I'm not saying, you know, it's absolutely everything's the same. But the authenticity, the, you know, for me, who you see is who you get, <laughs> you know? And it's, and it's pretty much the same. My students will sometimes ask me or my clients, are you this chatty at home? <laughs> are, you, are you like this? And, and where do we send the sympathy cards to your partner? <laughs> like, oh yeah, 
yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's a good one. But yeah, yeah. Yes, As yes. he'll say, he's a good listener. <laughs> yes, yes. No, I think that's so, and I like what you went with where you went there as well. I think it's also remembering there are no absolutes, right? It's not like whole person means like, oh, there's no rules and no professionalism and we'll do whatever. Right. It's it's not being in the absolutes. And I've always been someone who's very comfortable in the gray. So um, to me, it's recognizing. And I think anytime we go to one extreme to the other, it's because we're, we're binary. It's good. It's bad. It's this, it's that. It makes it, it makes it easier for us to be able to label and put things into categories. So we're approaching the end of this conversation. I'm so sorry to say, because I don't want it to end, of course, but I think it's great as we start to think about wrapping up to think about for yourself and in, in your journey and some of the lessons you've learned, because you're so great at, at being authentic and vulnerable and sharing growth opportunities. And so what have been some of the, a couple of lessons that jump out of you, or maybe it's just one that you've learned perhaps recently, or it was a big lesson you learned on some part, part of your leadership journey that you want to share with the audience. So I'm going to give you a contradictory statement that I've learned that we have come and evolved so much as a work world, even from what I see as when I started working, you know, when I was 16 years old and I saw and I've experienced through my life, tremendous misogyny, racism, anger, lack of knowledge or education, misunderstanding, unacceptance, uh, having to conform, right? And be what others wanted me to be. So I've seen that change. And there's been such tremendous evolution. I've seen the power of compassion for others and for myself. I've seen the power of allowing us to experience differences and to move beyond. Now, here comes the contradiction. I've also learned we have a heck of a long way to go. We've come a long way the journey is far from over. We need to capitalize on our momentum. We need to capitalize on renewed understanding. We need to capitalize on people's experiences and allow their voices to be heard. I think in many ways I have, which is surprising. Some people who know me will listen to this and think, what, what is she talking about? I think in some ways I have silenced my voice in some ways. And so what I've learned, especially in the last, I'm going to say, three to five years. And that's a combination of age, you know, time on the planet, time in my career stage of my career journey, and other beautiful opportunities that have presented themselves to me, that voices are there to be heard. Yes, we have the two ears, so we should listen more than the one mouth speak. I fully understand and appreciate that. But we have to give room and space for these variety of voices. And when other people speak, of their experiences, we have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable with what they're telling us and then take it to the next steps and improve and change. Like there are many, many amazing people that surround us and there's so many wonderful things that are yet to happen. That's mm -hmm. what I've learned. Mm -hmm. That resonates so deeply for me because I, in being the, the eternal optimist, radical optimist, I always see the possibilities and I am grateful for so much evolution and the fact that I can even say love at work and compassion and all of these different things. I feel like, wow, look how we've evolved. 
But on the other hand, I still recognize just like you have talked about when we started to think about social justice and um, everything that we've seen around racial injustice and still with women and LGBTQ and all of these different areas and making sure that there is equality for all. Um, so much work to do. And I, for me, it's my work too, right? There's, it's the learning and the unlearning. And we do have, and, and I think it's, um, it's like the more you learn, the more you re recognize you don't know, right? And so right. Um, before it was just unconscious. Now it's like, oh, I consciously know all these things I still don't know. Um, yep. I, I like what you're recognizing as well on your journey that part of it is, and I, I, re I relate to what you say as well, because sometimes it can be those times that yes, you're, you're extroverted and yes, you're comfortable using your voice, but there might've been times, there might've been certain subjects that you weren't speaking to because you were keeping yourself safe in that way. And, and perhaps now you're even expanding even more in terms of what it looks like to own your voice. Right. And I have to be become more comfortable in dealing with other people's discomfort. And I have so much more to learn because yes. I have experienced privilege on many dimensions as well. And these are some of the things that keep me up at night because I say that is overlapping principles. I've experienced a lot of discomfort, um, being boxed in, some lack of privilege, and that overlapping that with recognizing that I do have a privilege and trying to make, again, the back to the puzzle analogy, trying to make it all fit together into a viable, beautiful picture. And isn't that what life is actually? It is a viable, beautiful picture, but I'm still figuring it out like the rest of us. And that's okay too. I've learned that, that it's okay to take one piece of the puzzle and see if it works. And if it doesn't fit, then try another piece. Maybe I don't always start at the corners because I'm not a good puzzle maker, but, <laughs> but I have a heck of a lot of fun trying. Yes. Yes. And that is part of it. Right. And sometimes you fall down and sometimes you try and it didn't work. You thought this puzzle piece was going to go there, but it's really over here. And I like it, that that puzzle reference is so good for you, Melanie, because I think going around the edges wouldn't be your way. Right. You would just be like, well, I want to go over on this side and try over here and experiment and play over here. That's totally epitomizes who you are. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a start at the corner. Now, you know, why my friends don't build puzzles with me, but that's okay. <laughs> Um, Melanie, where can people learn more about you and your work? I would love for people to connect with me on LinkedIn. So they can just search for me under Dr. Melanie Peacock and I will pop up on Twitter. I'm at double M. So the word double D-O-U-B-L-E-M, double M Peacock. And uh, my uh, consulting website is double M training and consulting.net. Yes. Good, good. And we'll have the show notes for everyone as well. And I know that um, Melanie is very active. Dr. Melanie Peacock is very active on Twitter as well. So that's a great place for people to connect with you as well. Yeah, I would love to learn with and from and share with other people. I find our social media community is so great for knowledge mobilization. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for being here for this conversation today. Well, thank you. Thank you for all your work and all you do to advance important conversations. What you're doing, Kristen, is important and valued work. So thank you. Thank you. Receiving it, receiving it fully. Please remember that meaningful change requires space and grace. Practice self-compassion and become the ripple. As you transform yourself, you transform your workplace and the people around you.